UMGoBlue.com. By fans, for fans. Since 1999. Hello. Welcome to this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with... Clint Derringer. And we have a number of topics for the podcast. First off, the Big Ten has released its modified schedule for the upcoming season. And uh, remember, this is the schedule where uh, the Big Ten will just be playing in-conference rivals or in-conference teams and won't be playing any out-of-conference games. Well, Clint, what do you think about the, uh, the schedule as it has been released? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting step forward towards actually playing the season. Um, most other indicators have been, you know, somewhat negative towards whether there'll be a season or not. So this was at least a, uh, a necessary step towards actually playing. And then in addition to camp starting. So, um, but th- that's, a at least a positive note. And then the specifics of the, uh, schedule, I immediately, I, my eyes were drawn to, you know, who benefited the most from the added crossover games, um, you know, perhaps it's a little bit tinfoil hat or, or conspiracy thought uh, initially, but um, the schedule sets up pretty nicely uh, in terms of the sequence for uh, the expected division leaders, you know, Ohio State in the east and Wisconsin in the west. Um, I mean, Ohio State, uh, their first game that they won't be favored by uh, more than a touchdown hypothetically is the Michigan game in, in October, third week of October. Um, so when, when you're keeping the same big 10 schedule and just adding one crossover game, there's minimal flexibility, but they did uh, kind of change the order of the games and, and Ohio state goes, Illinois, Rutgers, Purdue, Indiana, Nebraska, Michigan state, and then Michigan and then Maryland then Penn State and Iowa. So um, the uh, the other side of that coin, though, is, is putting some of those early in the season um, gives you the flexibility later in the season if, if we have to reschedule. So that was that's where my mind went right away. Uh, Michigan as a crossover game added Northwestern in the last week of the season. Uh, so that uh, is is at least better for Michigan rather than adding maybe a road game to Kinnick or, um, you know, they were already playing Wisconsin and Minnesota. So the only thing that could have been worse would have been adding, um, you know, the third best team in the West. So all in all, it worked out um, pretty well. I think uh, it's pretty clear that the the expectation is that Ohio State and Wisconsin um, just would be expected to, to have the inside lane so to speak, in in the race for the division, but we'll see how it plays out. What did you uh, What did you think when you saw it? Well, you know, I primarily focused on Michigan's schedule, and you know, again, I wish we were playing our regular schedule. You know, with that said, uh, first things, I hope we play the schedule. I mean, that's that's the first thing. I hope that this is the schedule that we see. Um, what was interesting to me is to see. Um, Basically, that Ohio State had been moved up in the schedule, right? Whereas instead of being late November, uh, we're looking at a, a late October game. And what that, the way, what I read into that is that, 
you know, they're really hoping we're again, we're really hoping there's going to be some kind of a schedule. We're really hoping that we're going to get to play some games. But how I look at that is I'm like, wow, if Ohio State's moved up into October, I really look at the rest of those games and I wonder if the uh, as you said, you know, is there the chance that that the back third or back quarter of the schedule might not happen? Like, is this the well, if 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 bad things happen and we need to cut the last month of the season off, at least we got Michigan, Ohio State in. So that's how I looked at it. Um, I, I was really interested to see Penn State, the third game of the year at home. You know, that that's, uh, you know, it's amazing because you have Purdue and Minnesota on the schedule. And uh, again, Minnesota is no slouch. So you really have, you have Purdue, which is kind of your, I'd say your easy opener, right? And then you get, you get right into it. You're on the road at Minnesota and then you got, you come home and you got Penn State. Uh, you know, then you have a week off. Okay, I'm sorry. Then you have a lighter game. You play Rutgers, and then you come right back to Michigan State. And then you have an easier game with Indiana, and then you come right back to Ohio State and Wisconsin. So it really is, you know, if this schedule happens, if this schedule happens, man, it's a it's a murderer's row. It's It's really great games almost every other week. And you know, as disappointed as I am that we're not going to see the, the non-conference and not see the full schedule, um, you know, if, if this is your consolation prize, um, it's not that bad. Yeah, I think you're right about really those early tests, the road test at Minnesota and then coming back for Penn State. We're going to find out early on if we play this schedule, we're going to find out if Michigan's for real. I mean, uh, Minnesota, they're, they're returning leading receiver has opted out of the season. Then uh, Michael Parsons, the all American linebacker for Penn state's opted out of the season. So um, they're, they're not quite at a hundred percent to what we would have expected uh, if the season does come together, but those are two early tests. And then, uh, then you get kind of the build up through the middle, like you had mentioned and, and man, the, the mother of all trap games on the road at Indiana before playing uh, Ohio State. Um, it's a similar situation to last year, and, and Michigan played well against Indiana, but um, you know they'd have to do it again. And then right on the back end of the Ohio State game is the Wisconsin game. So the it, they're kind of bunched together, I would say. The real meat of the schedule for Michigan is early in weeks two and three against Minnesota and Penn State, and then later on in the season you get weeks eight and nine or seven, eight, and nine, really, Indiana, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. So the uh, the other big point, obviously, is the with uh, the Spartans. Um, they'll be returning to second year in a row as kind of a payback. The Big Ten went from leaders and legends to the East and the West, and Michigan had to go to East Lansing two years in a row. Uh, in 2014 so that'll kind of rebalance this year which means uh, it's a it's a huge positive for Michigan even in the long term uh, looking down the road because we had fallen into that rhythm where Michigan was on the road against both rival teams at Michigan State and Ohio State in the same years so it was great that you got them both uh, at home from a season ticket holder perspective but um, every other year them being on the road was troubling, you know, both from a competitive standpoint for the team and from a ticket standpoint. So it makes more sense 
uh, to balance that out. I'm glad that that seems to be getting corrected for whatever the motivation was. I think it's a, it's a net positive for Michigan and, um, you know, hopefully it stays with uh, kind of an alternating, either the Spartans or the Buckeyes will have to come to Ann Arbor every other year. So, so then of course we had the other off the field drama between coach Harbaugh and coach day, uh, from Ohio state where, uh, a photo emerged of Ohio State of the Ohio State coaching staff doing some on-the-field coaching before the rules allowed, and uh, Coach Harbaugh called Ohio State out on a Big Ten call, and uh, the quote from from Coach Day was, "How about I worry about worry about my team and you worry about yours?" Followed up with uh, when he talked to the team later, his team, of course, Ohio State. That uh, you know that that Harbaugh had better hope for a mercy rule this season because his team was going to hang a hundred on them. So boy, uh, you know it's nice to have some college football to talk about. You know it's been a long time. Uh, you know we didn't have spring practice, so it looks like the rivalry has not uh, suffered at all. Um, you know again it, it's. It's this kind of stuff, Clint, you know, I, 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 you know, it's one of the reasons I love college football, you know, with that said, um, you know, I think coach Harbaugh has a point, right. And, and this has been a consistent thing that, you know, not just Ohio state, but you know, other teams that, that he's called out is, you know, we expect Michigan to live to the letter of the law and, and that's the guideline and, and the place that, you know, he tries to hold his team to. And then little things like this fall out, and uh, to me, it's just indicative of, of kind of the culture in Columbus that, you know, they're more concerned that Ohio State or that they're more concerned in, in Columbus that Harbaugh is 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 uh, whining about them than uh, than whether they're following the rules or not, which is which, which I think is really interesting when you think about all the trouble they've had. Uh, you know, listen, they've been incredibly successful on the field, but they've also had off the field drama. And I think that when you have a culture that condones, you know, bending the rules a bit, that that's what you kind of get. Yeah. I, I have made the point in the past that when, when urban Meyer came to Columbus, he said it was clear culturally that Ohio state wasn't, wasn't competing on the same playing field culturally as the sec, that he was going to change that. And I would imagine that this, uh, this reading of rules that are dictated from, uh, from the NCAA or from the Big Ten, uh, everything gets evaluated with whether it's enforceable and whether they can get around it first and foremost in Columbus. That's just that's kind of par for the course. It's a it's unfortunate and it must be very frustrating for um, Harbaugh and anybody else associated with the program that that it's a competitive disadvantage to to follow the rules and that that can that can really grate on you. Um, but you, you know, you still you have to do the right thing the, in terms of actually calling calling uh, Ryan Day out on, on a on a call. I don't know when else you're supposed to say something about it other than directly to, you know, w- when both coaches are involved on a call. It's, it would have been a little bit more whiny, in my opinion, if, if it was just an interview one on one with Harbaugh and somebody in the media to be talking about it. So at least it was kind of direct and the appropriate forum to, to bring it up. You know, it is something that, that Harbaugh's mentioned 
you know, even in uh, John Bacon's most recent book, he said it's hard, hard to compete with the cheaters, um, which was, was vague enough that you could put really any number of teams and programs into that blanket statement uh, in any kind of dimension. But, uh, you know, that, that's something that's clearly at the forefront with, uh, with how Harbaugh views his program and how he tries to compete uh, within a certain framework. And not every program does it that way. So, and it's also, you know, it's interesting or, or, or comparison to uh, under Rich Rodriguez, Michigan went through an NCAA investigation that was specifically about the number of hours that coaches were putting in with players. Right. And it's, uh, that just makes it even more specific to, Hey, you know, this is not just sour grapes. This, this was a big deal. This is something Michigan had to deal with for 18 months of an, of an investigation and, and an eventual, you know, light round of, of sanctions against the, against the program. So, um, you know, the, the NCAA and the big 10, how some programs follow rules and don't follow rules is, uh, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, you and I have, have talked in the past and we'll probably talk again more in the future about the lack of teeth in, in from a central governing body of the NCAA. So this is what it turns into. It turns into people monitoring the, the other the other programs that they're competing against. And and you're right that at least it becomes some fodder that's entertaining for, for guys like you and me to talk about. Well, and I think you made a great point. Listen. You know, I would much rather have Coach Harbaugh, you know, bring the issue up directly rather than whining about it to the media. And, and what's interesting to me is that Coach Day didn't deny it. <laughs> and I think that that was you – know, I, I thought that was really funny is it wasn't, no, that picture didn't happen when you thought it did. Oh, no, you misunderstood or it was a mistake. Is it's kind of like a wink and a nod and, yeah, you know, uh, you know – you and I have talked about, I always use the analogy with the NCAA of, of like speed limits, right? The speed limit 65, uh, you know, they understand if people go 70, I'm not saying it's right, but you know, there are little bumps in the road. The only time they really care is when they go hundred, somebody goes 120 and they get caught. Right. And it's interesting that, you know, I, I think this COVID, um, situation has really exposed the NCAA for, you know, almost just a, uh, a tax collection outfit, right? I mean, they worry about the revenue, but they really don't provide mm, any leadership. I mean, here we are in a, in a situation where, um, you know, you have the, the schedule under fire. The whole season is, is questionable. You, know, you have a number of programs that, you know, essentially will go bankrupt, right? Essentially just require a complete reset financially if the revenue of the season is lost. And the NCAA is nowhere to be found, right? I mean, there's, there's you know, you have, you know, it, it was announced this week that the MAC has announced and decided that they're just going to move to the spring, right? And what I was surprised at is I was, you know, listening to talk radio and, reading articles about it, there were a lot of uh, pundits basically mocking the Mac for throwing in the towel. And, you know, I look at it differently. At least they made a decision, right? Their coaches and their players looked at the data, made a decision and said, you know what, this is the way we're going to move forward. 
right or wrong, but here, make your plans. And you know what? That's not cowardice. That's leadership. That's, that's you know, putting a decision out there and saying, you know what? This is what we th- feel that we need to do rather than waiting to play follow the leader. And, you know, it's interesting. The MAC is getting a lot of the same flack that the Big Ten got when it announced it was going to a conference-only schedule. You know, you heard, well, you know, everybody should have got together and decided, and we all should have announced at the same time. Who's going to bring everybody together? Certainly not the NCAA. Yeah, especially especially not in the football realm. You know, they, they have even less have even less power over over football than they do in other all the other sports, including basketball, just because the uh, the championship, um, you know, the, the power five conferences basically determine the uh, the entire championship system and that it's, you know, it was taken out of the NCAA's hands a long time ago. So it th- that's a frustrating organization. And I think some of the other some of their other shortcomings are, are, are certainly more important culturally and socially. Um, this this ineptitude is just is, is is where you start. You know, this is what the governing nationalized governing body of college athletics is supposed to provide is leadership when there are questions from state to state, from institution to institution and across different levels of institutions, then you need you need a centralized at least mission or a vision and they're not they're not providing that. So that that glaring absence is now held in contrast to all of the social issues and, and other problems in terms of equity and, and how you treat the players that are you know responsible for generating all this revenue. It, it, it's such a stark contrast, and there's there's the the prospect of not having the the actual games and the pageantry to distract everybody and, and kind of placate everybody. So everybody just has to look at actually the the the, the underbelly, so to speak. It is really all that there is to talk about, and, and that's not good for the NCAA, but hopefully it'll be good in the long term, and, and there'll be positive changes that come out of it. You know, Clint, I want to be clear. I want a football season, okay? This isn't me wanting to be right about that they're making a mistake, okay? In my heart, I want a football season. I really hope that the schedule we talked about happens, but that is a feeling, Okay. When I look at the data, the data tells me we're not going to have a season. The data tells me we shouldn't have a season, right? And, um, you know, uh, this week the Michigan Athletic Department uh, sent out an email, uh, you know, from Ward Manuel and uh, basically laid out in stark terms what it would mean for the athletic department if there is no football season, right? And, uh, you know, reading directly from the communication. As a direct result of COVID-19, we budgeted $61 million less in revenues this year, which could easily double if the decision is made not to play any sports, okay? Now, so if you take that statement on its face, which I, which I think is reasonable, you're talking about over $120 million less in revenue, right? And... It, it's interesting how this all comes to a head. Um, you know, there was a reason, you know, to, to kind of put that in perspective, right? So I was looking at a tweet from, from John Bacon earlier this week, okay? And between 
2010 and 2014, the Michigan Athletic Department budget went from $100 million to $150 million, right? Now it's $185 million. So, you know, I may be an LFNA major, but I can do the math. $185 million minus $120 million. I mean, that is a epic, epic bombshell crater in your budget, right, if there's no football season. And, you know, one of the things that, that's going to be interesting is, you know, the athletic department has reached out and is encouraging people to, you know, donate their the money that they paid for season tickets um, to the athletic department as a, as a straight donation, right? And, you know, I don't know how that's going to go over. Um, you know, what do you think about what this means from a from just a budget standpoint, uh, Clint, when you hear numbers like this? It was interesting, even when you were reading the numbers, you, you the two numbers you compared were $185 million budget minus potentially $120 million of revenue. I, I looked initially at previously it was a hundred million dollar budget and now it's a $185 million budget. That's an 85% increase over a small number of years. So that means the revenue, because in the NCAA college athletics model, you spend every dollar that comes in in revenue. So it's, you know, you could estimate that that's about approximately what the revenue numbers are with, with the TV money and additional revenue sources that have gone into play in the last five to 10 years. So if the budget has increased by 85%, right, then how, how it's clear that there's been a lot of money floating around that, that probably should have been more, it should have been handled a little bit differently in terms of, of, of revenue sharing or, or how much of that went to benefit the athletes regardless of how you stand on on amateurism and, and that part of the conversation. So that's that's where I looked at it, not necessarily the potential hit that they're taking this year, but that, you know, the size of that budget ballooned in the last 10 years to where the cut in revenue that they're talking about this year is bigger than the entire budget used to be within the last decade. So, um, I think some of that history is important context as well as, as what this, the unprecedented, you know, crater that, that you mentioned, which is, which is also true, you know, so somehow, right. There's, there's some accounting to do and some accountability that should happen on the whole system. And I think that inequity and, and the wobbly nature of the entire system, the imbalance is, has to be addressed because you're almost back to the drawing board in my mind to figure out the best way to set up this system. I mean, you're not going to get another opportunity for a, a shakeup to, to really turn a, a colossal challenge into an opportunity to, to redesign the way that you do business. So that's typically, I mean, that's how I look at it in terms of the budget. I, this year, the actual dollars and cents, um, to make an actual season happen, there's going to be a lot of increased cost um, to make everybody as safe as possible, both fans, spectators, uh, players, coaches, staff, media, 
um, everybody that's that's involved in the entire event of of a football game or any athletic competition. So all of those expenses are going to increase in a way that's exponential on top of the reduced revenue. So uh, if if from a high level, my first thought would be it's short-sighted if you're trying to answer those questions with just 2020 in your in your scope. I think you really have to go back and look at these vectors and, and all of these pressures that are putting uh, that are coming to bear on the program and try to answer them in a sustainable manner that it's going to be unique the answer to what you do for 2020 of course but I, I would try to answer these questions in a way that is sustainable and that 2021 is also very similar in 22 so that um, we don't know what's going to come down the line in terms of challenges, but you're going to want to rebuild the foundation of your, your operations model to be able to handle things, um, unforeseen things, uh, in my opinion. So we'll see how it, if it, if it feels short term, the response, um, I, I would get really, really nervous if it feels like we're making decisions for the long term. Um, as a, a university, as a program, as a conference, and then it, obviously as an organization nationally, then, then I would feel at least more confident. So if, if things have to be sacrificed this year for the long-term good, then, then that's understandable. But I, I really hope that there's a, a season this year, obviously, being a huge fan. Uh, you know, not, I, I have no idea what, what fall would look like without any football um, to really be the centerpiece of both entertainment and, and discussion amongst my circle of friends. But uh, there are bigger things to take care of first. So I, I certainly hope that there is a safe and equitable way to move forward with this season and, and that um, Michigan figures out a way to be, to be a leader in, in solving those problems. You know, Clint, there's a reason I, I, I talk about it like a crater, okay? I think that what we're going through is an extinction level event for college athletics. And as you mentioned, it's time for a reset. I think that the best thing that could come from this is a rationalization of exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it. Okay. And, you know, again, so, you know, you made a great point. So you, there was a budget in 2010 that was a hundred million and 10 years later, the budget is 85 million larger, right? Can we honestly say that the athletes have benefited from that $85 million? Who benefited the most, right? And it's not the athletes. And, you know, uh, you know, we can look at the suites and we can look at, um, you know, everything that's come down. And, you know, and I would even make a, a pretty strong argument that I wouldn't say that the fans have benefited that much. Right. Um, you know, and I remember when the university looked at, uh, looked at, considered rolling out the, um, the, um, how do we call it? The, the, uh, the donations, right? The donations that you, you freely make, right? For your football tickets. Mm-hmm. And um, they had a series of open houses where P- 
people from the community would come and um and the way that 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 was sold was hey okay the way the tax code is written you get to write this off anyway so don't worry about it you're going to be making this donation but you're going to get it right back on your taxes and i remember looking going you know i don't think that the way the tax code was written it wasn't really meant for for football tickets right so I could kind of see that that loophole would be closed. Oh, and, and guess what? Surprise, surprise, it has been closed, right? But the way it was being sold was, hey, this is just kind of a, a bookkeeping thing. You're helping us out. We're helping you out moving forward, right? And I, I remember being at one of these things and, a, and a, a, you know, an older woman got up and said, you know, uh, you know, we made donations to the athletic department and we've even, you know, included you in our will. And now you're asking for more money. How much is enough? And I and I I was really struck by, you know, what a profound statement that was. That, you know, here, you know, that that things were getting so big and, and bigger and bigger, and that it really wasn't keep keeping in mind the people who'd been supporting the program for 20, 30, 40 years, that they were moving to a to a new model. And of course, when those uh, those donations were rolled out, we were told, "Oh, don't worry, it's only going to be for the season ticket holders, you know, between the twenties, right? From twenty to twenty, and hey, those are the big rollers; they can afford it, right?" And then, of course, a few years later, it got rolled out to, you know, to the goal line. Everybody between the goal lines paid. Well. Guess what? Then a few years later, now everybody's paying, right? And then a few years later, the tax code changed that you didn't even get to write off as much as you did before. And so what I'm wondering is, I don't know how much more goodwill is left from the season ticket holders, okay? Um, and, and understand we know that, you know, uh, the current athletic director didn't make any of these decisions. He's, he kind of inherited this situation, but also, that's kind of not our problem, right? Um, or I don't know how much of it is our problem. Um, you know, you know, I'm looking on my wall right now, Clint, and I'm looking at uh, I have I have two framed um, Sports Illustrated, right? When Michigan beat Ohio State, and uh, of course, you know, not that we beat Ohio State too often, but again, I have the the frame picture and I have my ticket, right? And my ticket in 1997 when Michigan beat Ohio State and, of course, propelled them to go into the Rose Bowl and eventually winning a national championship, you know, the face on that is $32, okay? And uh, I look at, you know, the next time we won and, and it's $51, right? And now the tickets are almost 200 And, oh, by the way, we haven't beat Ohio State in a really long time. So... I look at, you know, them asking season ticket holders just to just to, you know, give them an extra, let's say a thousand bucks. Hey, why don't you just give us a thousand bucks and we'll call it an extra donation? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know how the average uh, season ticket holder is going to think about that. And, you know, you talk about and, and I think it's a great point. You know, um, you know, we need to rationalize, you know, all of of collegiate athletics, you know, to something that's more equitable for the athletes, but I'm not sure it's a real good deal for the season ticket holders right now either. 
Um, so again, if, if, if it's time for a reset, you know, I, I think that that would not be the worst thing, um, that that could happen. And, you know, just a point, you know, those, those four years where the budget went, you know, up crazily, of course, that was, you know, during the David Brandon era, which, you know, we, we all pretty much, uh, want to write off anyway, but the reality is, is what he did was he added to infrastructure. And one of the things that I've learned, you know, when you're looking at buildings or, you know, any kind of investment is infrastructure eats every day. Okay. Whether you're generating revenue or not, you still have overhead costs and those costs have gone up enormously. And, um, you know, this is one of those situations where, you know, nobody, you know, this may be a once in a, a century thing, but man, it's really bad timing if you have all this infrastructure you need to pay for. And I think it's not just Michigan. I think it's the whole college athletic landscape. I, you're, you're hundred percent right. And those are, those are very, very large problems looming over, over the entire, really the entire sports entertainment industry. I mean, every, every sport across the, the whole landscape is going to have to answer some sort of version of that question. But college is so unique within that realm because of the fact that they, they don't have the same labor costs. You're only paying professional staff and coaches that the, the players are, are providing totally free labor. Um, and that's probably got to get addressed the same time that all the rest of, of these questions get addressed in one way or another. So, you know, and Clint, I, I listen, I, I don't want you to think I don't, I don't completely agree. I mean, like you said, how can you see the revenue increase and there not be similar benefits or protections for the players? Right. I mean, it, it's, it's completely absurd. It is, it is a completely broken model. Yeah. And, and they, to put it in perspective, some of the revenue, right. The, the monster revenue increases come from TV money from having the big 10 network specifically. And then the partnership with Fox and, and the big 10 network just exploded the revenue. And, and part of the, uh, one of the requests, uh, you know, from the thousand big 10 players that was put forward the same day that the schedule came out, one of the requests was that the, the, their families be be given a subscription to the Big Ten Network to be able to see the games um, that are on that network, and, and to think that the family that that the family of the players on, on whose backs the the entire entertainment model for that network is built, um, we're, we're dishing out whatever the subscription costs are monthly for the Big Ten Network. It's a uh, everybody's getting squeezed for every last dollar. And I think people are really going to, just like you talked about with the season ticket holders, people are going to rethink exactly what that means. And, and where is that going? You know, everybody's, you know, eyes have been kind of opened and they're going to look and see, wait a minute, why are we doing what we're doing? And the answer, because we've always done it this way is, is probably not going to be good enough going forward. At least I hope it's not good enough going forward. So I was thinking back um, when Bill Martin was athletic director, um, you know, and, and he's, he retired in 2009, right? So it's been over 11 years ago. 
when he left, he built up the infrastructure, but he also built up a surplus for the athletic department. And one of the things I remember is that he was always surprised at how well people would follow the athletic department budget. And there was a statement and he said, well, you know, I'm really surprised that anybody cares about our budget. And at the time, I remember writing an article saying, you know, we care about the budget because whenever, whenever you guys run a deficit, you reach in our pocket to pay for it. And that's exactly how I feel about what's, what they're going through right now. And, you know, again, it would be one thing, you know, if it would be one thing if, hey, I really thought you were giving the players a really good deal, right? Man, you guys have been taking care of the players. Well, you haven't. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, yes, COVID is huge, but there are all these other issues that are all coming to bear right now, right? And, um, you know, the, the people complaining about the budget are the guys who've been making the money. And as you said, it, it, it doesn't look like things were reinvested. It looks like every penny that came in went right back out for something. And, um, you know, and, and it wasn't going out definitely necessarily for the benefit of the players. So, um, you know, there's so much that, that I think, you know, if, if the season ends up, you know, not going forward, um, you know, COVID especially because it's so particular to health concerns, right. Um, it'll be interesting to see how those are addressed moving forward. And, uh, and again, you know, we, we hope there's a season. Um, we hope that, you know, that if there is a season, a spotlight is brought on these issues and many more and that, um, you know, things can be reset in a, in a rational way moving forward to, to more, to balance the scales more toward the players. And again, the people who are, who are providing the labor, um, because it definitely seems that things aren't you know, equitable. Absolutely. And I think you're, you're, you're looking at the right, the right spot. We, we want, definitely want to have a season. I, I know you and I feel the same about that and that in order to do that collectively as a, as kind of a culture within college football, we're going to have to earn that by, by collectively, trying to take care of, you know, first take care of your own house and then collectively make decisions that are going to keep everybody else safe as well. Because an outbreak, as we've seen somewhat in, in baseball so far this year, an outbreak for a team cancels a, a game, which affects two teams and puts at risk, you know, retroactively, whoever they were just playing. So now there's four teams involved because they're playing somebody else. So you know, with, with the nature of this problem, everybody's connected and they're going to have the people that are making decisions are going to have to think about what's best, not only for themselves, but what's better for everybody. All right. Well, a lot for, to consider as hopefully we are moving towards some type of season. That's going to do it for this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.